time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You're lucky, Tom. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Always good to talk with you, Henry. Thank you. And joining the roundtable this week, Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley is back. Hey, Wood. Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Good morning, good morning Wood. Good morning, Wood. Hey. Well, we always <coughs> we we always start out with a few uh, a few quotes, and the first one is uh, the finish the quote, where I offer up part of uh, uh, a famous or maybe not so famous quote, but um, uh, and then ask how you would finish it. At the bottom of education, at the bottom of politics, even at the bottom of religion, there must be what? Hmm. A boy. Uh, integrity. A boy. Uh, something that oh, lifts. Lift the oh, elevate, that elevates. Yeah, I was going to say integrity or trust. I don't know, but yeah. It's <clears throat> and, and Wood, how about you? How would you finish that quote? A ladder. At the bottom, there's a ladder. (laughs) 
Well, you're going to you're going to find this one really interesting and and this one's probably not as well known as some that that I've uh called for this uh this piece. At the bottom of education, at the bottom of politics, even at the bottom of religion, there must be for our race economic independence. Hmm. Hmm. Sounds good. You know who said that? Booker Washington, Booker T. Washington. You nailed it. Oh, okay. Wow. I, I don't know how. I don't know how you got that, Paul. I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have guessed it. Um, but it's a great quote. And it's a great quote, and I knew he was that good at that stuff. <clears throat> well, here's one who's. Uh, here's a quote that's that's probably not as lofty. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you to the great people of the villages. The radical left do nothing. Democrats will fall in the fall. Corrupt Joe is <laughs> shot. See you soon. That's we know that's, uh, well, you know who, who that, that's Henry's guy. That's <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump. That was, that was uh, <laughs> President Donald Trump on Sunday morning. When he widely shared a video, he said is from the Villages, a retirement community in Florida, in which a man driving a golf cart with Trump campaign posters is seen chanting white power. Oh, yeah. The yeah. president retweeted the video that showed the community's Trump supporters and anti-Trump protesters arguing with one another. The president thanked the great people shown in the video. President Trump is a big fan of the Villages. He did not hear the one statement made on the video, what he did see was tremendous enthusiasm from his many supporters, according to White House Deputy Press Secretary Judd Deere. Uh, before the tweet was deleted, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, the only black senator in the Republican conference, said on Sunday that the video retweeted by the president was offensive and indefensible. Um, is is there any explanation or version about this that doesn't make the president look bad? Well, I think uh, people have made such a big deal over the <clears throat> the the white power that uh, it trivialized all of that stuff. And I, you know, I think he might as well say it as everybody else is saying it and trivialize it rather than keep it as a secret or hidden. Uh, conversation. I don't see anything wrong with that. But but let me but but let me suggest these two scenarios. Um, one is that he heard it and retweeted it anyway, which yeah. it, you know it, it would be by anybody's interpretation potentially inflammatory. The other is he didn't hear it. He just saw some people celebrating Donald Trump and thought this is great and retweeted it without fully knowing what he was putting up there. And and then that raises the question, what is a president of the United States doing retweeting something he hasn't thoroughly vetted first? Yeah. Well, well isn't, isn't, it, isn't, it, isn't it just uh, phenomenal that we have the benefit of uh, three and a half years of uh, actual observation and facts of uh, this guy. And isn't it more likely that this is just simply staying on message? He's playing to 
a certain racist audience, um, and I'm not saying everyone in, in that audience is uh, necessarily racist, but, but I don't think it's unintentional that um, that person was, was hollering white power. He, he has retweeted other races uh, tweets before he's he's done this. So did he did he not read or hear or whatever the other ones? He saw a Trump sign and said, "Oh yeah, let me let me let me retweet that." So well, you know, there's the surely. famous "good people on both sides" kind of quote that's yeah, underlined yeah. so much of this, right? And whose minds would he change anyway if he if he uh, did retweet? Uh, if he did, we tweet it. Whose mind is really changed? You're right. You're, you're right. I think it's all baked in at this point. That 42 or 39 percent, whatever that uh, base number is, isn't going to move. And I don't think he's moving. Uh, if he's doing anything, he's moving them the other way. I think so. I mean, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think that the people's minds are way to, and also... Uh, you can never predict how the American people will react or act. We still no, don't know I, I where think the American people are. Some of are going to lose the ind- a little, a few independents who sort of lean for Trump in sixteen are going to say they've had enough. I mean, yeah, that might it may be, not true. be a lot, but it, it's going to chip away at, at even that base a bit. Uh, I, I think, or I hope. But aren't uh, presidential but, campaigns really a fight over the center? That's it. That I, Probably. I, I've always argued. Yes. I, yeah. I've always yes. argued you win. Yes. You win the primary in the twenty-yard line. You win the general on the fifty-yard line. You know, right. You win. Right. He's yeah, losing. I agree. He's, he's losing. He's losing the battle for the middle. And wouldn't you agree yeah. with that, Henry? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm concerned about what he does a little bit. But uh, guys, we got to find a, a reason why he does these things, and and what is the benefit to him. Well, the, example, the question, Henry, we know that is, he, are, are, these things, are these things reckless? I, I mean, just giving him the benefit of the doubt and saying he doesn't read these things, he doesn't always know what he's putting out there, but isn't it reckless to put out things that you don't know and understand fully? But somebody else has said that uh, the, the message is already out there. He can't change it. And people who have decided uh, will not change their positions. So if you so can't, loses nothing. So if you can't beat them, join them. I said, I said from the beginning, um, just taking a, 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 a little um, quote from something I read in the in the Times that said that the real danger with uh, Trump is not that he'll change um, minds or whatever, but that he'll change norms. And I think yeah. that that's, that's the real danger with this guy is that just what you're just saying, Henry, that when we elect the president, the expectation is a higher level of trust, responsibility, leadership, all of those higher notions. And when we talk about, about Trump, we say things like what you just said. Is it sort of like we dumb it down and say, well, it's like this thing about the, um, the, the, our, our troops in Afghanistan and the bounties that, that the Russians put out uh, to, uh, you know, have the Taliban kill our troops. And, and so folks are, and you know 
that there's 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 been too much smoke around his relationship with Putin. You so you know that there's something going on there. And now he's saying, Well, I didn't they they never briefed me. And now what? they can find the date they they can find the date in which it was in his daily brief. <laughs> but what w- doesn't that raise the the same two questions if um you know if if he was if he was briefed and and read the uh, PDBs the presidential daily briefings the intelligence briefings that he gets um if if he read those and did nothing there's an issue right and if he didn't read them exactly there's, there's an, an issue yeah. there's an issue yeah right right Right. Yeah, so um, how does that, and going through and, and analyzing what's in those briefs, how does that change anybody's mind that's already fixed on how they but a are president, going to vote? Or well, I, don't know, I think some, some Republicans are taking a second look at some of that stuff. Yeah, a presidential... Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Republicans it. are, but, but the Republicans are, and, um, and that's an issue. But what about the other people who... Like some of the ones that's on this, but a presidential daily the, briefing is not a rough draft of a press release. It's not. It's not designed to uh, win people over. It's to give the president information that he uses to make yeah. decisions on foreign policy, troop deployment, um, what things need to be watched, what things need to be reacted to, and so on. And if he's just blowing these things off, that's that's a concern that, that we should all share, like him or don't. So, Tom, and, so, so Tom, and I don't see the president as, as, as blowing those off. I don't see that. Most of the uh, issues that he comes up with from these briefings are well thought out, well positioned. Is, is he reading them? Is he paying attention right. to any of this stuff? Well, I, I would think his advisors are We've advising got a, him. He must have that. Would you started to say something? We got a minute and a half till break. Well, well I was just going to say, just piggybacking on on your point. So, isn't there like a demarcation somewhere here between governance and campaigning? And that even in the midst of a campaign. You have to have the political wisdom to differentiate between governance, good governance, and campaigning. You can't; it can't all be about campaigning. Otherwise, we just we're, again we're dumbing it down. And my fear with Trump is that for him, it's all about Trump, and therefore, it's about my reelection. That's even, a perspective. That is not a fact. A person, That's a perspective. Even a person that was of a different party, I would. You know, there are Republicans that have been in the White House that I would have a level of confidence that even in the midst of a campaign, that they knew how um, to differentiate what's in the best, what's in the public uh, best interest. I don't believe that with this guy at all. Well, on that note, we're going to have to take a break here, but uh, we're going to continue with more armchair politics. Woodrow Stanley is joining our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. We're going to let our broadcast partners at 92.1 FM squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. More armchair politics straight ahead.
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But while you would possibly never even consider counting how many pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. And the only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on a bu- on the bus... All 65 of them with their instruments and everything and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slept. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for Ford. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. Get in a Ford, give Ford a try. So don't be standing 
This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with uh, our uh, guest, uh, Woodrow Stanley, uh, joining the uh, roundtable. He's uh, back with us again to join Henry Hatter and uh, Paul Rosicki. Welcome back, guys. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, Thank you. One more quote before we move on to some local, state, and national uh, headlines. Um, The idea that the framers of the 14th Amendment understood the Due Process Clause to protect a right to abortion is farcical. Boy, Clarence you're, Thomas you're, is the one. Yeah, yeah. you're batting Clarence a thousand Thomas. today, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mean, well, I was going to comment that your previous segment with, with uh, Brendan Beery was really good on, on, on some of these constitutional cases. Well, Brendan's always good. That's why I call he on really him for is, those yeah. things. And, and, and also, I, I'll mention uh, Mark Everson as well um, whenever we talk about um, White House uh, uh, related things like like for example the recent uh, uh, the release of uh, John Bolton's book um, and and how the White House was reacting to that and about John Bolton and I, I'm really fortunate to have uh, great guests like like them and like you guys uh, to participate in the show and and I'll just do a little quick commercial um, on that note I get asked all the time uh, who my favorite guest is and that's like trying to have a favorite child or if you're a musician a favorite song um, I've had so many great guests on this show some very famous sure. and some not so famous but I would have to say if I if I were forced to pick a, f- a favorite interview I've done it would have to be Carl Reiner I thought about that when I heard about him yesterday. Mm. And and Carl Reiner passed away Monday night, age 98. Mm. He was still working. He was still doing movies and TV shows. Um, Wishing Mel Brooks a a happy birthday on the day before he died on Facebook. Mm. Um, And and he he really was, uh, he influenced anybody that made you laugh from 1950 forward. He influenced or had, you know, some effect on, and um, whether it was uh, Sid Caesar or uh, uh, the Dick Van Dyke Show, which he created, um, to you know, he, I think he wrote and directed Oh God with John Denver. He uh, appeared in uh, the the new Oceans movies. I saw one of those yesterday on oh, television. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he was just just phenomenal. And so the commercial part is that tomorrow uh, on the show we're going to be remembering Carl Reiner in our words and his. Uh, the first hour uh-huh. we're going to take calls for anybody, whether you knew him or not. But, you know, if you liked something about his work or, you know, if if you have any thoughts or memories of uh, Carl Reiner, you're welcome to share them, and then we'll hear Carl, in his own words, ironically, talking about his book, I Remember Me. 
Anyway, that's yeah, coming up the sure. first two hours of the show tomorrow, and, sure. I, and I only bring that up because I'm encouraging people to uh, to call in and share their, their thoughts and uh, stuff. He was the last of an era when when we could laugh at ourselves, and people don't seem to be able to do that as much anymore, and I think he's a significant character, if for that alone. Uh, but we... But we move on uh, to this. Uh, hey, Tom. Yeah, go, I, go ahead, May, may I say one, one last comment about Clarence Thomas? I have never seen Clarence Thomas so far from the center as he was in that quotation that Paul and you were talking about. Well, I'm going to uh, go on with quite that. Quite a ways away um, yeah. uh, we we kind of got off track, and I'm going to go right back yeah. to that, Henry. Um, okay. Supreme Thank Court you. Justice Clarence Thomas said the landmark Roe v. Wade case that paved the way for legalized abortion in the U.S. is without a shred of support from the Constitution. The comment came in a fiery dissent to a court decision that blocked a controversial Louisiana abortion law that critics said would have closed nearly every clinic in the state. In his uh, stinging dissent, the conservative justice wrote that Roe v. Wade created the right to abortion out of whole cloth without a shred of support from the Constitution's text. Um, Is this more evidence that Justice Thomas has found his voice? And what do you think of the High Court's decision and Chief Justice Roberts' vote? I haven't thought that through yet. I'm still a little bit trying to weigh that out. <clears throat> no, I, I think I think Roberts has, has been a, a strong supporter of precedent. I mean, whatever his personal views may or may not be on the abortion issue per se, I think he doesn't want to overturn past precedents. And there have been a number of court rulings that have, you know, obviously Roe versus Wade and other other cases since that time have upheld even with some limits. Uh, the right to abortion. So I, I think that's where Roberts is coming down, and he he doesn't want to get involved in the political football of abortion in the same way that the candidates do, I, I suspect. Well, as we were I, talking... I would, go ahead, Wood. No, no, no. I was just going to say quickly, I, I, I would agree with uh, those uh, comments and, and that uh, I, I, I'm not sure... Uh, well, I am sure, rather, that uh, Roberts is not going to be um, labeled as a progressive um, when uh, history is written about his tenure on the court. So well, that's I, true. Yeah. I, suspe- <laughs> I, I, I suspect that he has a lot more conservative uh, positions to uh, weigh in on uh, where he's going to be on the wrong side of history than he does on the yeah. more progressive side. Well, he's certainly an unlikely uh, person to be uh, taking up the mantle of uh, uh, Justice Kennedy, yeah, <laughs> who retired yeah. from the bench. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it really is kind of interesting, and I think, I think Paul's on the right track, that, um, that, that uh, Justice Roberts is such an in, uh, institutionalist that I think he shares even though he may be very conservative in his personal beliefs and leanings, I think when it comes to the court, I think he believes that there needs to be a swing vote, and if I have to be it, so be it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, mm-hmm. the key thing, as, as I think as Beery pointed out 
in a previous show that when he's in the majority, he can assign the opinion, and that can play a big role about who actually gets to write the opinion in terms of whether it's a very liberal opinion or somewhat less so. Well, the way the court is voting now, as as we were talking uh, earlier, because Brendan Beery was on in the first hour this morning, and we were talking about this this case, um, Justice Roberts is always going to be in the majority because <laughs> it's a four-four split on yeah, almost yeah, everything. Yeah. So whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. vote he takes yeah. is going to become the majority. Yeah, five-four court yeah. all the way around. Yeah, yeah. And and as to uh, Justice Thomas, the guy didn't say anything for twenty-five years or twenty years, <laughs> yeah. and now you can't shut the guy up. Oh, he's a the Charles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's where he needs yeah. to be. He's he's uh, apparently in the in the age of uh, COVID nineteen and technology and live audio uh, from the court. Uh, Justice Thomas has uh, found his voice, and and I, we made a funny uh, uh, reference to that when I was talking with Brendan Beery uh, earlier. Um, that uh, Justice Thomas. Um, was always the kid in the back of the class who didn't raise his hand but now because of this uh the way they're conducting their oral uh hearings uh oral arguments justice roberts is calling on the justices so it's it's kind of forcing him into yeah you know making comments and asking questions and you know, I, I, I think that Justin, Justice Thomas for years have uh, been somewhat sidetracked by uh, his um, the vote that he got in the Senate to receive uh, confirmation um, that was controversial. And I think that so many of the issues have been about race, and uh, that could skew how people perceive him. And and I don't think that he wants to damage his um, his persona among Black Americans because they didn't like him because he was a Republican, although he was Black. And and, and I think that he didn't want to exacerbate those sensitive relationships between the culture and and his own the general culture and its own. Well, he's out. So now he's, he's out now. Voice. Yes, he's out now, and this is where he should be. <laughs> All right, let's 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 bring it a little closer to home. Flint City Council approved Mayor Sheldon Neely's request to amend the city's budget by $680,000 days before closing its books. The amendment to the current fiscal year's budget, which ends June 30th, or ended June 30th, was made with a 6-to-1 vote at a June 29th special meeting that Neely called. Councilperson Eric Mays abstained from the vote. The bonds will cover the cost of fixing the city's wastewater treatment system. A pump that brings in wastewater from a significant portion of the city needs to be replaced as soon as possible, according to city officials. Neely requested the current fiscal year's budget be increased to include $440,000 to the general fund, $215,000 for public safety, $15,000 for rubbish, and $5,000 for the building inspection department. The finance department analyzed the city's spending halfway through March and estimated this money is needed for the departments, according to a June 2nd resolution by the council. 
Neely wasn't present for the meeting. City Administrator Clyde Edwards and Acting Chief Financial Officer Amanda, or Amanda Truillo answered questions about the resolutions. With revenue down, where is the money coming from? That's the question I was going to ask you. That's going to be a big issue for all <laughs> local governments. Like yeah, that. yeah. They, he will probably have to go out and just levy a tax. He'd have to go to the people and say, hey, let us have a citywide tax because all of this pertains to city operations. He's got to take charge and put his arms around the city, embrace it, where everybody else has turned away from it, and they're looking for money from other sources. Neely needs to stand up and say, let us join and repair our city. Now, I don't say Don't... Henry, as a Republican, don't you get in trouble for uttering the phrase levy attacks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. But, but somehow, what do you do? Do you let everybody who uh, you, you, you can't pull together continuously denigrate the city? Or do you stand up and do you go out and make that appeal to them so that the city can grow back? It's not going to grow back asking other people for money. He needs to, and the people in the city of Flint needs to stand up and, and support him on that. Well, you, you know, Henry, the, and I, uh, I commend you for uh, being able to um, utter that, that really big word, uh, tax. I, I know how difficult yes. it is to, to be able to enunciate that. Uh, but yes. but um, let, let's, let's be real. Um, the mayor uh, coming out and saying we need to utter, we need to uh, levy a tax uh, on the residents of Flint um, is is nowhere near the answer, short term or long term, uh, uh, to the um, uh, the financial challenges that the city of Flint faces, and and is not that, that, that those financial challenges are not different in a lot of instances than a lot of other cities around this country. So, but this except you know, maybe yeah. except maybe for the residents' ability to pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, the coronavirus is putting pressure on all local governments and all revenues. Yeah. Well, we could go to uh, a a um, collective governmental system that includes the county. There are other ways you look at this, yeah. and Neely can't do yeah. that himself. Well, you, you know, there's this been gotta be, it's got to be resolved. It's got to be so the city collapses and can't get up anymore. There's been That's a long-standing long long issue about revenue sharing, and this goes back many years, where the state has cut revenue sharing to locals, and in particularly places like Flint, and if we had had the same revenue sharing we had had 10, 20 years ago, again, coronavirus to the side, we probably wouldn't have quite the same kind of problems we have. Okay. But we don't have General well, Motors anymore. You have, you have, well, that's, that's, that's a part of it, but, but the revenue sharing piece, just as a policy discussion, Paul, you, uh, you hit the nail right on, right on the head. And, when, and this, is, this is where partisan politics, Henry, really comes into play. When you you start talking about revenue sharing and other kinds of tax sharing um, uh, 
avenues of dealing with the, the perennial uh, um, tax problems that, that and financial problems that, that urban uh, cities have, you're going to see uh, those those biases, uh, partisan biases, cultural biases of suburbanites come into play. I'm telling you. It, 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 I don't know why the suburbanites have anything to do with this. The people because in the city of Florida, the only people most capable most of making this decision, Henry, not the suburbanites, guys. Leave the suburbanites most my, out. Most of my former city have some connection with the city, and when they left, they didn't leave a lot of them with goodwill. And they have no... They well, have I don't no know whether... I don't know how you can blame Henry, Grand Blank I, I, and Trio and all of those well, for you know, these problems. Henry, Henry, I'm, I'm not blaming. Let me just say this. I think my credentials in terms of working with suburban oh. government, uh, in terms of okay. my uh, leadership in the, in the Michigan Municipal League, the Mayor's Association, uh, the County okay, Association, okay. all these... Are, uh, all I'm saying is this is not me just spouting an opinion. The reality is when you start talking about, hey, look, guys, let's walk this pathway together in terms of trying to find some financial, because most folks don't see it as an us proposition. What they see it as a y'all proposition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and, and Paul I, bumped I, up I, against I something. I believe that. Paul bumped up against something uh, sort of parenthetically that uh, has created an interesting irony because under foreign or foreign former Governor Rick Snyder, um, revenue sharing from communities around the state was rated to balance the state books, which was his campaign promise. He was going to balance the state's budget and. Um, changed the way we budgeted and all of those things he worked very hard at and he had some success with that but at the expense of uh, revenue sharing and and some would say uh, uh, retirees and, and some other things yeah. but now we have a governor who would favor restoring some of those um, revenue sharing levels uh, especially to hard-hit cities like Flint but yet she's going to be and stuck paying back the bills. She's the money herself. She's going to be stuck paying the bills from COVID nineteen, yeah. and may not be in a position to let that money go. <laughs> That's going to put her in a in a tough position politically, won't it? Would. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can ask me absolutely. that too. Uh, yes, that would put the, the the governor in a terrible position. They don't have the money either. They can't even. Support education. Education is falling flat on its face, and you can't do everything. Some sometimes the cities are going to have to go out and help themselves. Henry, I directed that comment to to Wood because he had just uh, brought yeah. up the whole idea of the politics of it. And here's here's a case where you know the po- politics would have it go one way, but reality has shifted it another way. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and uh, Tom, I, I just think that the Republicans and Democrats have got to work together to solve the city of Flint's problem. You can't have them going off in different directions, steering uh, a number of people this way and the other the other way. They got to sit down and say, "We're here about the city of Flint." 
Well, for what it's worth, Henry, uh, at, at the risk of being uh, considered a fence-sitter, I think Republicans and Democrats are required to work together to solve all problems. Right. <laughs> right. Thank you. Not, not <laughs> just the ones in Flint. I, I just wanted to keep right. it local so you guys could hear me. <laughs> I, oh, I, I hear you, Henry. I always hear you. Um well, speaking of uh, Governor Whitmer, uh, she announced yesterday that she is renaming a state office building in Lansing that was named after a slave owner. Whitmer said she will rename the Lewis Cass Building the Elliot Larson Building. Is this uh, significant or, or merely symbolic? Hmm. I, I think it's, it's why it's does she want to take the name slave name down? I I didn't know that. that that's I think it's history. more more symbolic. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm a kind of see. I don't think I don't think I never really thought of Lewis Cass as a slave owner. Now that that could be my I, white naivety, but um, you know he he was recognized and remembered for other things, and and she even mentioned in her comments that. You know, there were things that he accomplished that were worthy of note. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it just it just seemed like, it just felt like public relations to me. And, and I apologize to anybody who might be yeah. incensed by the fact that the name of the building, you know, was celebrating a former slave owner. But, you know, it, it just seemed like, I, I don't know if this is, if this has the same impact as tearing down a statue of Robert E. Lee. Well, Tom, Tom I think that yeah. the, the street that we're on in terms of slave owners is a, it's a, it's a, um, a street that has kind of a slippery surface uh, because, again, you have yesterday um, uh, uh, President-in-waiting Joe Biden uh, made some. <laughs> I see what you did there, Wood. Uh, you see, sleepy yeah, Joe. Yeah, President Waiting, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, if I didn't say that the first time uh, correctly, uh, <laughs> tried to make some some distinctions <coughs> with Washington and Jefferson as slave owners, and that's a slippery kind of surface because a slave owner is a slave owner, and and and, and so. It, 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 um, I, I don't know. That, that right there. And you're right, Wood. Uh, it gets very complicated there because these, when you talk about Washington and Jefferson, um, both of whom are on Mount Rushmore, if they decide to take Mount Rushmore down, I'm, I, I'm voting to have the Marx Brothers put up. But, <laughs> but, but, but in all seriousness, yeah. these were still men who, they were doing what was considered normal at the time, however horrendous, and yet striving to become better. So at what point do we recognize the, the desire to be better from their actual lives and, and the things that, that they did? Um, do we just ignore the fact that they, they set a course away from their behavior, or do we hold them simply accountable for their behavior? 
You know, one thought I have is that uh, oh, we talk we got, about we, these historical uh, figures. Sorry to cut you off, Paul. Let's let's okay. pick it up there when we All come right. back. We're going to take a short break, but more armchair politics is straight ahead. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. 
Our Hoffman Sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman Orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman Steady Sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman Sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you. Could you be happy if your name was This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now, and... uh, just as we were going to break, I cut Paul Rosicki off, which is uh, really unusual. I, I uh, usually find myself cutting off Henry or Woodrow um, <laughs> when, when we go to break. And a lot of times I use the break to move on. Yeah, it is most often Henry, but I uh, often use the breaks to move on to the next thing. But um, but I want to pick it up where we were, Paul. You were just starting yeah, to say something. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I mean, obviously we can condemn slave owning and all that, but one thing that I've always thought to temper our views of past historical figures is that my guess is 200 years from now, people are going to look back and say, you know what crazy stuff people have believed in 2020? And we don't know what those ideas are because they're surrounding us. They seem normal or natural, but I suspect there are things we're doing now that are going to look just as horrendous 200 years from now as <clears throat> slave owning does 200 years in the past. So it's, you know, history changes an awful lot over time. And, you know, you were referring to Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and having been slave owners. But, you know, when I go by the statues and I take a look at them, I don't see the, I don't see the race and I don't see the events that occurred over that time period. And I know my descendants. Uh, I'm the descendant of, of slaves of that time. But I think the wonderful thing about them is that they survived the institutions. Uh, they and their kids that led to my being born here. And I'm the recipient of all the wealth that cotton brought to this country and that these men of a different color than I have created institutions that I live by today. And I'm safe. I live in a great country with tremendous wealth, with tremendous freedoms, with tremendous health care systems and stuff like that. So I don't see all of that stuff. And I'm against tearing down statutes. Because now, as we're tearing down <clears throat> the statues of slave owners, we're building our own statues here, like Alexander Jefferson, like the Tuskegee Airmen, like people, we're putting them up and tearing down others. That doesn't make sense. I know Wood's going to want to jump in on this, but uh, yeah, I, I, I just have to comment parenthetically. Henry, I always thought you were Irish. Uh Pardon? Oh, yeah. There's my Irish component, too. I'm very proud of I know you are. I know you are. That's, that's why I said that. But go ahead, Wood. I was, I was just going to say that I, I think that the institution, this is just sort of related to Paul's point, the institution of slavery, uh, chattel slavery, uh, 200 years from now, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a romantic, That was this, this was an era of, of growth, great, romanticism and, and all that. I don't think it, it's, it's uh, but, but I do think that if, if this era going forward that we've seen 
great strides in terms of of how we treat each other uh, across culture and the like mm-hmm. um, will will influence how leaders where they stood in these moments are are seen, and that's sort of like the look back now with Jefferson and some of the others. That yeah, okay, they were slave owners, but but there are going to be others like a, for instance, a Donald Trump, you know, who, who may not be treated as kindly in terms of their <laughs> positions. <laughs> and I just I I, I I got that one because it was just so available. Um, but but I do think that there 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 are folks who are are made great. Look, Lincoln said some things that if you took them out of the context of his leadership at the moment. That's we're, true. We're not progressive thoughts now, I mean, in terms of, uh, of, of people of color. Yeah, so, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, there are some quotes he, there. Yeah. You know, Cashwood, how far, Lincoln, how far does your anti-Republicanism extend, Woodrow? <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 Tom, let, let's, let's go with that 200-year marker uh, for the time being, okay? Yeah. We'll, we'll go <laughs> good enough. Well, I was going to say one good thing about getting rid of some of the statues is maybe we're going to get rid of this lost cause business. Because, I mean, you take a look at the Confederate statues, and they were not there to honor the old South or anything. Right. They were really right. meant as an anti-civil rights and anti-black thing in the 1890s and later. And, right. and this whole lost cause stuff is really well worth putting on the shelf. Would you, go to, would you go to Greece or Rome or any of the um, European countries and dare them to tear down the statues? Would you? I don't know. Some of them are kind of racy. <laughs> even if they're racist, <laughs> and I don't, and I didn't, and I don't mean racist. <laughs> I'm talking okay. about nudes well, and well, so well, Henry, on. Henry, yeah, Henry, I, I know what you're saying. Henry, yeah. use one. You use one that has a little bit more relevancy for the moment. So, how about going to Germany and looking for some statues of Hitler? Hitler. I would leave them there. Well, but well, you know, interestingly, statues I'd leave there. Uh, on that the very thing, they on, belong to the public. On that very subject, um, and and we've seen this, you know, the statues torn down in the Middle East, uh, you know, during uh, yeah uh, the Arab Spring, and and uh, right. certainly we've seen it uh, in Germany. We've certainly seen it in Russia, where there there have been these, uh, you know, out with the old, in with the new. Uh, various movements but on that very subject about germany would i i don't know why there are still concentration camps standing yeah to, to yeah. remember the past so it does never forget yeah, no, I mean, they're, never they're, forget they're not honoring him they're, they're really meant as a critique yeah. of what germany did I, I, yeah actually i yeah. was able to tour one of those one time and they're they're not meant to honor those things they're really meant to show what evidence that what, it what happened kind of, what kind of things they went through evidence mm-hmm. that it mm-hmm. happened Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that yeah. raises uh, you don't another want to question. get rid of that. Um, but but what I'm uh, what I'm going to do here is, uh, is shift gears a little bit because we did this uh, the last time Woodrow was here, and this is such a deep subject, and we could easily spend another two hours talking about about this alone. And we did that once before, and I bring that up because I'm replaying that show. And this is kind of a notice to to Paul and Henry that we're not doing a live armchair politics on July 22nd. So you might want to 
take note of that. And I'm replaying the show that Woodrow was on with us when we we just dropped the script. And, and the reason I'm doing that is, is I'm going to be off that week. And uh, I'm playing uh, a, a week of interviews with various candidates in the August primary. It's, it's going to be a concentration, a, a different race each day. Um, the 34th District State House and the 48th and the 50th, where there are contests. Uh, there are a couple of congressional candidates. There's uh, um, the uh, county clerk has a challenge, the county prosecutor, and those are all going to play during that week and a couple days before that week and a couple days after that week. Um, but but uh, I'm doing a replay of Armchair Politics on July 22nd where we, we just dropped the script and we talked about these issues, about race and, and uh, reconciliation, we'll say. Um, but uh, in the three and a half minutes I have uh, remaining in this hour, I want to bring up the federal judge in Kalamazoo uh, that asked the Michigan Supreme Court to clarify Governor Gretchen Whitmer's emergency powers during the coronavirus pandemic. The request from U.S. District Judge Paul Maloney could cause Michigan's high court to reconsider its earlier rebuff of a request to give speedy attention to constitutional questions raised by Whitmer's use of emergency powers since the pandemic hit Michigan in March. Um, without going into all the details of, of the, the orders, it talks about the uh, Emergency uh, Powers of Governor Act of 1945 and the Emergency Management Act of 1976, and which one has precedent and in what circumstances and so on. Um, but let me, let me just ask it this way, since we just have a couple of minutes left. Does the nature of the emergency have a role in determining the extent of power conferred on Michigan's chief executive? It could. Yeah, I mean, particularly as this, as this coronavirus seems to, to be continuing. I mean, for a while, it looked like it was going to be a couple of weeks or a month-long kind of a crisis. Now it looks like we're talking about potentially up through the end of the year, and who knows, even longer than that, possibly. So I, I think it raises at least the options that uh, maybe there ought to be some, in, in the future at least, some consultation with the legislature in a larger sense. But you know. I, I agree with you. I, I, you know, this is one a great question, um, Tom. I, and, and I'm not so sure. Um, my, my initial thought, is that it, it, it shouldn't be necessarily in terms of uh, the governor's emergency powers by the nature of the emergency. If, if you are the chief executive, there should be certain powers of this nature that come with the office, and then it is, I mean, you know, it is the governor's uh, wisdom uh, yeah. to uh, employ those powers, not you know, well, this governor says that my emergency powers can be employed for this emergency, and another governor with a similar uh, issue says, nah, you know, so I, I, I don't think it's a, a moving target. It, either you are conferred the emergency powers as a chief executive, or, you know, you, you have uh, a co-emergency powers um, law or interpretation where the legislature 
you know, you confer with the legislature. I'm just going to say one quick thing before we uh, break for ID, and that is that the uh, Spanish flu pandemic in 1918 lasted three years before it was fully eradicated. And so, you know, the idea that this was just a couple of weeks, I, I think we really have to be pretty flexible going forward. Yeah, um, yeah it's clear, clearly in light of what's happening now. All right, we're going to take a short but break. But you got to remember that we're a nation of law. Part two. Part two coming up. You're listening to Tom Sumner.